0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together as we study God's word and let us be challenged to apply his truth to our hearts so that we may serve him faithfully. May God bless you. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another, at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us, who is it of whom he is speaking? He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That is the one from whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to them, Buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Let's bow together. Lord, I pray for your divine insight into this word. Lord, that you'll guide us to understand. Lord, that you truly are in control of all situations. Lord, you were in control of the situation with Judas. And you're in control of the situations we find ourselves in today. Lord, help us to trust you, to have true faith in you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why would Jesus choose someone that he knew would be a betrayer? Well, that's a question that's been debated by scholars for, I guess, about 2,000 years, and they haven't really come up with a definitive answer. Some think, well, Judas was doomed from the beginning that he had no opportunity to become a follower of Christ that God would not even allow him to, and so he was cursed and had no possible way of coming to faith. If that were the case, then why would Jesus constantly share his love and passion with Judas? Even in the last moments he had with Judas, it was a time of of open communication, of open love and compassion and respect. And throughout his ministry, he gave Judas more and more and more opportunities to see the power of God working through him so that he could come to faith. So... If he couldn't possibly become a follower, if he was cursed from the beginning, then why would Jesus continue to open up his heart towards Judas? Well, then others think well, if Jesus knew that, for knew that Judas would betray him, then why choose him in the first place? This is a paradox that we do not have a full answer for. Uh, either way you look at it, here's the answer. Jesus is in control. Jesus knew from the beginning that there would be one who would betray him. I believe that Jesus knew who it would be, uh, Judas Iscariot. And we also see that Jesus chose him regardless of that fact. We kind of see from this side of the cross that there had to be a betrayer. Uh, There was a fulfillment of the scriptures. We know that Jesus... Has all knowledge. That's something. (laughs) Now, how many of y'all know everything? Now, I know some of y'all have been accused of knowing everything. But we don't know everything. We don't know what's going to happen the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next month, the next year. A year ago, who would have thought that we'd be sitting in here wearing masks? None of us. None of us. We never know what the future holds, but Jesus does. Jesus is omniscient. He knows all things. He and the God, and God the Father are one. They are all, all-knowing. So Jesus already knew all these things, and he already knew what was about to take place. That's how in control he is, and that's what we're going to see as we continue to study this. There's also a question. Jesus sent Judas out with the other disciples. Y'all do know that, right? It's scriptural. Judas went out, and he came back with the twelve, or the other eleven, and they were all amazed at what God was able to do through them as they went out preaching Jesus. That included Judas. Great feats were done. Miracles were done by the disciples. Many received Christ as a result of their preaching and their ministry, Judas included. Now, how in the world can God use a non-believer to bring people to Christ? Here's the simple answer. It's not the person sharing the message. It's the message that brings salvation. God's word brings salvation. It really doesn't matter who it is that's sharing it as long as it's the truth of God's Word that's being shared. See, God's Word never returns void. And so Judas was one of those that was not a full believer. Now, he obviously had to see that Jesus was somehow of God, but for whatever reason, he did not truly see Him as being God. He did not see Him as being the Messiah. Many believe that Judas thought that like the religious leaders, that the Messiah would be a political, military ruler that would overthrow the Rome's control over Judah. They even think that he, in his mind, did these things to try to force Jesus to to see that he's about to die and to bring in his army and begin this revolt. Well, none of that happened. But the truth of the matter is, God can use unbelievers... For his honor and glory. So, in verses 18 and 19, we see Jesus predicts his betrayal. Can I go back just a little bit? Verse 17. If you remember what verse 17 showed, it basically said that Jesus told his followers that if you do these things, then following my example, washing people's feet—in other words, humbling yourself in ministry—then you will truly be blessed. So he picks up in verse 18 and says, I do not speak of all of you, because I know the one ones I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Well, that quote right there, that prophecy, that scripture that is to be fulfilled, is found in Psalms written by David. And actually it's uh, verse, chapter 41, Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted... Who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Well, what's this referring to? Well, David had a trusted counselor that he he thought would never, ever betray him. And yet when David and Absalom began having this split, guess what this, this counselor did? He left David and went and sided with Absalom. And so this is a situation that David dealt with. And now Jesus is using that illustration to show that he too would have somebody who would eat his bread, but then would also betray him. So we look and we see that Jesus again knows exactly what's taking place. Verse 19 says, "...from now on I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur you may believe that I am he." And here's what Jesus is doing. I'm going to tell you what's about to happen. And it's not going to be a good thing. But here's the reason why I want you to know. Because I know. And I want you to know that I know. And I allowed it to happen. In other words, Jesus is saying, even though something bad's about to happen, I'm allowing it to happen. So that when it does happen, you will know that I knew about it. And I allowed it to happen for a reason. Now... Even after it happened, the disciples still didn't understand. They didn't understand until after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. Then they understood. But the disciples struggled, just like we do, with understanding how Jesus does things, why Jesus allows things to happen. Why does Jesus, why does God allow people to get coronavirus and die from it? We, we struggle with that. But Jesus is telling his disciples... I know what's about to happen. It's not going to be a good thing. But I want to tell you right now that it's going to happen so that when it happens, your faith will actually grow in me. You'll know that I am in control of all these things. So then we look at uh, receiving those sent by God. This kind of refers back to what I was sharing about Judas being one of the ones who did go out. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, listen, listen. I say to you, who, who... He who receives whomever I send receives me. Who receives me receives him who sent me. In other words, when Jesus sent out his disciples, anyone who received his disciples received Jesus. and Anyone who received Jesus received God the Father. It's all in one. It's, It's a full package deal. You can't receive Jesus without receiving God. And so here again... There were those who received, who accepted the message that was being sent out by Jesus through his disciples, his apostles, including Judas. So, again, it's not that they received Judas, but they received the one who sent him. They received the gospel. They received Jesus. They received the truth. The truth is the message, not the messenger. Uh, I think we've all known pastors who have fallen in their ministry. And unfortunately, when they fall, many of their church members will question about, am I truly saved? I, sat, I, I, was, I was saved under this man's ministry. Well, you weren't saved by that man. You were saved by the gospel, not by the person, but by the word of God. The word of God does not come back void." The man may fall, but God's word never will. So it's the word of God that brings salvation, not the person. It's hard for us to believe that God can actually use a non-believer, like Judas, to bring truth and salvation. Looking at verses 21 through 26, Jesus deals with announcing or, or showing who the betrayer would be. Allow me to read this passage. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. When we look at that passage, we see Jesus is openly stating that one of these 12 men who are sitting at the table around him will betray him. Now, what does that mean? What does betrayal mean? Well, we know because we see it through history what it meant. It meant that Judas was going to go out and he was going to bring the Roman guards and they would arrest Jesus and have him crucified. We know the end result of that betrayal. But when Jesus announced this betrayal to those 12, what did they think that it meant? We don't know what they thought. Well, they weren't immediately up in arms. They weren't, you know, getting clubs or, or swords or anything like that and Say, well, we're going to take care of this right here and now. They all looked at each other and said, well, who could it be? And we can only guess what they were thinking that the betrayal may have been. Worst case scenario in their minds probably was that one of them would deny the faith and turn and walk away from Jesus never to follow again. That would truly be a betrayal. Or maybe that one of them would betray Jesus by bringing false testimony against him. That would be betrayal. I, I'm struggling to think that they actually thought that any one of them that had followed Jesus for over three years could possibly turn him over to the, uh, the Jewish authorities to have him executed. So I think that they were saying, well... Who is it? In another gospel, they actually said, could it be me? I think all of them wondered, am I the one that Jesus is showing is going to be guilty of doing this? Because we can all betray Jesus. <clears throat> Matter of fact, in our lives, we have all betrayed Jesus. Anytime that we have shied away from announcing to others that we are followers of Jesus Christ because of fear that they may ridicule us or persecute us, then we have betrayed Jesus. So all the disciples could have easily been guilty of betrayal and probably had been somewhere along their way. So when Jesus announced this, he was troubled in spirit. Well, why? I believe it's because he had spent so so much time with Judas in his midst and so many times that he had been teaching the gospel, his life, showing them how to live, how to share this gospel with others, how he had even sent Judas out to minister to others, and how many opportunities Judas had been given to receive faith and to know that he was going to betray him. Jesus was fully God, but yet he was fully human. And I think he was troubled in spirit because of that. So we look and we see... Jesus has the 12 men in the upper room, and he shares that one of them would betray him. Then he says, And the disciples began to look around at a loss to know which one it was speaking of. And then, we don't know exactly how the room was set up. There was a table that was very low to the ground, and what we do know from history is that at this type of a meal, that they would basically lay down on their side or their stomachs, propped themselves up on their left elbow, and then reached to the table to eat with the right hand. So their bodies would be angled away, with each person kind of angled towards the next person going around. And we can only assume that Peter must have been on the other side of the table and couldn't directly ask Jesus, who is it? But he looked and saw the the, the disciple that Jesus loved, which also always refers to John. John is the one who is the one that... Jesus, uh, He refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loves. John was leaned up against Jesus' bosom or chest, which means that Jesus is laying here, John was laying here. They're both reaching over to the table. And what we also find out is that Judas is over here. So when Peter asked John to find out who it is, all John had to do was just kind of tilt his body and lean up and look at the Lord in his face and say, Lord, who is it? Who is it? Well, simple question. Well, Jesus privately told John. In other words, he said it in a low voice where not all the twelve would hear. And he basically said, I'm going to take this bread, I'm going to dip it, and then I'm going to give it to the one who will betray me. Well, basically, they had... Unleavened bread because this was the feast of the Passover. And they probably had a bowl that had olive oil and bitter herbs or different types of herbs in it. And they would dip it and eat it. Many of you have gone to an Italian restaurant and done that. They've had uh, rosemary and different things and olive oil and you've dipped your bread and, and eaten it. Basically what Jesus did, he took the bread, dipped it into the mixture and handed it to Judas. Judas took a bite. We'll get to what happened next in a moment. But what took place here is that Jesus is identifying to at least one, John, who the betrayer would be. But from all the evidence that we see here, John doesn't fully comprehend, or John doesn't believe that the betrayal is going to be life-ending for Jesus. He assumes that maybe Judas is going to betray him by no longer following, or Judas had the money box. Maybe he's going to betray Jesus by filtering from the money box, which he did anyway. We don't know what went through John's mind when Jesus did this. But here's something that you don't know, because the scriptures don't pull it out, is that in those days, whoever sat at the host, which would be Jesus, whoever sat at the right hand of Jesus... And whoever sat at the left hand of Jesus had positions of honor. John, being at the right hand of Jesus, had a position of honor. Guess who had another position of honor? Judas. And the tradition was that if the host, Jesus, gave bread, dipped in salt, or whatever you want to call it, and gave it to one of his guests, then that was the ultimate shot. Showing of respect to that person. It was saying, you are truly an honored guest. You're greatly respected. So when Jesus took the bread and dipped it and handed it to Judas, it was the greatest sign of respect that Jesus could have given to any man in that room. Hard for us to believe that Jesus would do that. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him, Jesus did that anyway. So anyway... <clears throat> Even to the last moment, Jesus was showing kindness, love, compassion, and respect to Judas. Now, let me be honest. If you knew that somebody was going to betray you, and you knew it for a fact, would you show that kind of respect to that person? I doubt it. I doubt I would. It wouldn't be in my heart to do it. But Jesus knew what was right. Now, we look and we see what happens next. Identifying the betrayer, we see that Jesus dipped the bread in the, uh, and then gave it to Judas. Look at verse 27. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Here's somewhere we're going to find just how in control Jesus is and how out of control uh, Judas is. If you go back to the first part of the book of uh, this chapter of John, it says in verse 2 that Judas had already opened his heart to allow Satan to put into his heart the desire to betray Jesus. Satan was not in full control of Judas, but Judas allowed Satan to Enter in by giving him the desire to betray Jesus. Now look at what verse 27 does. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. In other words, he became satanic possessed. He was totally under control of Satan. That's how bad it got. Jesus knew at that very moment that Satan had entered into Judas. And here's what Jesus said. What you do, do quickly. Jesus knew what was about to take place. And here's something that is very interesting. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 26, verses 3 through 5. Matthew chapter 26, 3 through 5. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize the Jesus by stealth and kill him. But, they were saying, not during the festival. Otherwise, a riot may occur among the people. Judas had already made a deal with these religious leaders. They had given him 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. Their intentions were for Judas to wait till after the festival, the Passover feast was over with, after all the multitudes had gone back home, and then to find a time and a place for them to arrest Jesus and then have him killed. That was the plan. That was what was agreed upon. That wasn't God's timetable. Passover is when the sacrificial lamb for the sins of all the people was killed. Sacrificial. Guess who was going to be that ultimate sacrificial lamb? Jesus. Jesus was to die as the Passover lamb. He, he was not going to be killed after Passover. It had to be at Passover. Judas was planning to betray Jesus after Passover. The religious leaders wanted him to betray Jesus after Passover. But Jesus put things in God's timetable. By showing Judas that he knew that he was the betrayer and then told him, go and do it quickly, Judas had to leave and go to the religious leaders and say, I have been found out. If you want him, come get him now, or you may not ever have another opportunity. Because he knows the plot. He knows that I'm guilty. He knows that I'm the culprit. So, I'm out of the picture. I can't do anything more other than turn him over to you tonight. If it's not tonight, then it's probably not going to happen. Jesus forced Judas to get off of the religious leader's timetable, and to get on to God's timetable. Isn't that amazing? Who's in control? Even in his own crucifixion, his own passion, his own death, Jesus is in total control of every single bit of information and situation. So by identifying Judas, Judas left, now, the disciples didn't understand everything. Verses 28 and 29 basically say, now, no one at the, the reclined at the table knew for what purpose. They assumed that Judas was going to go out and either buy things that they needed for the Passover meal or pay for things that they had already received, or there was also the custom at Passover to give alms to the poor. Judas being the one with the money box, it would be his responsibility to go probably to the synagogue and give an offering for the poor. So they just assumed, and rightfully so, they didn't want to think anything negative about Judas. They thought that he was being sent on a mission by Jesus to do something that was right. Now, here's something that we need to understand. There's nothing wrong with thinking good things about other people. Even when they sometimes give us reason to doubt them. The disciples were not being naive, even though Jesus said, one of you will betray me. They were trying to think only the best. They were assuming the best of Judas, that he was going to be going and doing something that was worthy of the Lord, to purchase the things for the Passover meal, to give alms to the poor. Little did they know what really was taking place. So after receiving the morsel, Judas went out immediately. Notice the last few words. And it was night. Why would John add that little phrase there? It's already the evening meal. It's obviously night. Why would John add, and it was night? Jesus is the light of the world. Those who reject Jesus stay in darkness the Bible even gives illustrations that only the evil deeds, that the evil deeds are done in darkness, that those who reject the Lord stay in darkness, not only physical darkness, but spiritual darkness. Judas went out into physical darkness and spiritual darkness, never to see the light. He never saw the light of Christ in his truth. Jesus had an opportunity to lead Judas salvation, gave him every opportunity possible, but Judas rejected the light. If Jesus shared the gospel himself with Judas and Judas rejected him, what chance do we have? Well, look at all the people who did respond to the gospel. The multitudes I mean, in the first century, millions and millions of Christians were killed because of their faith. So, obviously, the gospel had a great impact on the lives of those who heard it. So, when I preach the gospel, when you share a presentation of the gospel, when you share your personal testimony with others of how God has impacted your life through the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we have no way of knowing whether or not, That seed's going to be planted and take root and bring forth fruit of salvation. We have no way of knowing. But that should never stop us from offering it. Even if our hearts are not fully in tune with God the way they should be, share the Word of God. God can still use His Word to bring salvation. He used Judas. He can use you. He can use me. He can use a pastor that's fallen. God's word has power to save. I have no power to save. It is only the gospel that has the power to save. And that's what we need to remember. So we need to be found faithful in sharing the gospel, not worry about those who stand against us. Jesus wasn't worried about Judas. He knew what was going to take place. He knew when it was going to take place. He knew how it was going to take place. But he did control the situation. He did not allow Satan in Judas... To control what was going to take place. He knew he was going to be the Passover lamb, and that's what took place because Jesus was in control. Jesus was all-knowing. Does that mean that those who he was with that rejected him didn't have a chance that they were cursed from the beginning? I don't think so. There are a lot of people who have that thought That you are either chosen or rejected. You were chosen before the beginning of time. You were either rejected before the beginning of time. You don't have any choice as to whether you're a chosen one of God or one rejected by God. I don't believe that. Never have. I struggle with the understanding that God foreordained, foreknew who would come to salvation, who would not. How Jesus knew of his disciples who would be true believers, who the one would be that would not be. That foreknowledge is incredible. I cannot understand it. cannot know how he uses it, but he does. But what we do need to know is that whether or not we're a pastor, preacher, believer, Sunday school teacher, whoever you are, You don't have the power to save. I don't have the power to save. It is God's word that has the power to save. And we need to be proclaiming his word to the multitudes around us because that's the only way that salvation will take place. People don't just feel one day, oh, I need to go to church and hear God's word. That's not how hardly anybody comes to church. The majority of people come to church because they're brought up in a Christian family and they were brought here by their parents. If you weren't brought to church by your parents, about the only other way is that somebody personally invited you by sharing Christ with you and saying, there's something that took place in my life that I've never gotten over. Jesus saved me from my sins and I would love for you to experience that same gift of salvation. And I'd like to invite you to come and hear the gospel being presented. I'd love for you to come and hear the word of God. I'd love for you to come to our Sunday school class to hear how God can touch your life. I want you to experience what I've experienced. If people are not already in church, that's really the only way that we're going to get them in church. Personally invite them by sharing what God's already done in our lives. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you realizing that you are in control. Lord, it is not us sharing your gospel, but it is your gospel that we share that brings salvation. And Lord, not for everybody that hears, for those who just simply receive and want it for themselves. Those who want to follow the light of Christ instead of living in darkness. Lord, we don't know who they are. Only you do. Lord, your command is for us to go and share the gospel with all the world. Lord, sharing it and making disciples and Lord, allowing you to be God. Allowing you to be the one in control. Allowing you to be the Savior. Lord, we may not understand why some people, even with all the opportunities to come to faith, refuse to do so. Lord, we know that... It's not our choice as to who we share the gospel with. We're to share it with all. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.